Welcome everyone to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So as you probably under, undoubtedly have heard, this is um, I'm joined here with Reverend Jeff Cran of Zion's Banner on YouTube. If you have a chance to run to his channel, go ahead and go over there and subscribe. Really help him out. Plus you get some really good information about Judaism and about Christianity. So we've been covering several episodes today, but this one particular episode I wanted to cover about, well, who is the Jewish Messiah? I've talked to many Jews in my day about who Jesus Christ is, and many Jews have said that he is not the Messiah. And many rabbis I've listened to, even from Israel, on their podcasts or on their YouTube channels, have said about how Jesus cannot possibly be the Messiah. So I always ask the question of, well then, you guys believe a Messiah is coming. Who is this Messiah that you're believing in? So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Jeff onto the show, and we're going to go ahead and discuss that. Okay. Uh, your Jewish friend's concept of Messiah is not necessarily totally biblical. Uh, the Bible teaches, and this is something you really need to bring up with Jewish people, uh, not only is Messiah supposed to be a king, but he's supposed to have a priestly ministry or priestly office. Okay. Uh, so that's where the suffering servant prophecies come in. Uh, that's where a lot of that stuff comes in. And and really the the office, the priestly office of Messiah has been so downplayed in Judaism. Uh, it's buried under an avalanche. And so what your Jewish person is expecting, uh, if they expect a personal Messiah at all, is they're expecting a conquering king to restore the rule of God on earth minus his priestly ministry. Yeah, because I've heard the same thing from my Jewish friends who will talk about him like he will destroy our enemies he will re, uh, um, he will unite the nations together, and that he will uh, be a king and dominant over everything. And when I start reading through the New Testament, I come across the prophecies of the Antichrist, and the prophecies of the Antichrist match up nearly perfectly with the idea of what this Messiah that they are saying that is supposed to come will do. Yeah. Now, there is an aspect where Jesus will reign. Let's not, well, of course. you know, remove the kingship of Jesus, which really the believer's under the kingship of Jesus now. I mean, he's a kingdom citizen in that sense, uh, even though it's it's not realized. Um, I mean, you know, it's now, but not yet. We call that realized eschatology. Well, why did the Jews re, uh, pretty much ignore the suffering servant? Because there isn't room anymore. Uh, during the period of time when Jesus came and then during the subsequent Talmudic time, there was a discussion of two messiahs to get around this. We had hit this before, but there was a Messiah ben David and a Messiah ben Joseph because they had trouble with this thing. Remember that when you're reading your Bible, you have the, the concept already in your head of a two comings. Uh, imagine that concept wasn't there for you. So now you have two pictures one coming, how do you reconcile the two? That'd be difficult. That's right. Uh, now, is there evidence for two comings? Yes. I can prove two comings from the Old Testament. Uh, Micah 5, 2, 5, 3. Remember, the Hebrew vendor is a little different in English. Uh, where out of Bethlehem of Ju Ephrathah uh, shall come one who shall be ruler of my people Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Okay, you clearly have uh, him being born in Bethlehem, right? I had a Jewish guy saying that, that Bethlehem had changed its location too. 
So there was that's no... why Ephrathah is included. So... Bethlehem Ephrathah gives us the exact location. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. So is that and like I... a city? Or that's like a because I know Bethlehem is a city. Yeah. So it's like a district in that city. Well, no, it was more like you had Roman. You had a, you know, like Minneapolis Saint Paul. You know. Oh. Okay. okay. Sort of thing. Um. Uh, you have Bethlehem of Bratha. So he's going to come from Bethlehem, right? Mm-hmm. But you go to Daniel chapter 7. He will appear with the clouds. And you have prophecy that he'll come in the clouds. Well, now you have a problem. You either have two messiahs or you have two comings. Well, that would be two comings. It would be two comings. Especially at the um, right before you run into the book of Acts. Yeah. There's no evidence for a two messiah theory. Okay. First of all, messiah is always singular. Not messiahs. It's not messiahs. Uh, Second of all, the preponderance of the messiah uh, doesn't lead you to two comings because you have one lineage. If you have messiah ben David, son of David, messiah ben Joseph, you'd have two lineages. You have one lineage. That's what the book of John talks about. Yeah, well, Matthew has a lineage. Luke has a lineage. They're really one lineage. They're just taken from two sides. There's a way to reconcile that. But here's what's so funny to me. Uh, one person has one lineage. If I have the same lineage as someone, the someone I have the same lineage as, as is me. My parents are my parents. They're not my parents and your parents and six other people's parents. That's the way lineage works. And so you have one lineage. So you have one Messiah. Mm-hmm. You don't have another lineage given. And so that speaks against that. But your Jewish person is focused on the reigning, conquering Messiah. By the way, that's why the disciples have a problem. Remember, they're not ready for the crucifixion. They keep bucking it. You will never, you know, die. I mean, Peter, you know. Everyone gets mad at Peter for cutting off the servant's ear. By the way, I think he was thinking, he was aiming for more than the ear. I think he was aiming for the neck. Yeah. Um, Why does Peter do this? He's patriotic. This is the king. You're with the king. You protect the king. You're one of the three musketeers here. They're coming to get the king. Right. You protect the king. And Jesus says, no, not that way. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. It's not the time for that. Wrong time, Peter. Put your sword back in your sheath. You try it this way, you're going to get killed. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Wrong time. Poor Peter. He's trying to do the right thing and he's just so impulsive and he just does things and he he does them without getting the whole picture. And Jesus says, no, I will be turned over to the elders. I will be turned over to Rome. I will end up dying. And they're like, no, you're the reigning ruling Messiah. You can't die. This is not the way it's supposed to go. And Jesus keeps trying to get them to focus on the priestly office of Messiah. So, I mean, that's why the disciples are having this problem here. Because they're not focused on the the redeeming. I always say, this is because God is so incredible. Because earthly kings get their country and then they get their subjects. God gets his subjects and then sets up his kingdom. So God does everything pretty much in a reverse of human nature. Yeah. Yeah, in the sense that we begin with power and then try to use power to achieve good, God begins with the good and then backs it up with his power. 
So that just further illustrates that point that God does everything kind of backwards in that extent. In that sense, God works from the end to the beginning. That's why God says, you know, uh, essentially he says, you know, uh, that he sees the end and then works it. I think that's so much of it is God sees the end he wants to get to. If you're more middle knowledge, he sees all the ends and picks the end he wants to get to and then works everything to it. True. Um, but, I mean, that's the cool. God truly is the ultimate engineer. He begins with the end in mind. Which is what a good engineer starts Which with. Which is what a good engineer is supposed to do. You begin with the end in mind. Uh, really, that's the way we're supposed to do a lot of stuff. You begin your dissertation with the end in mind. Uh, and God is working this. But they're not picking up on it. They want the reigning king. We want kingdom now. Is their philosophy. And so they're having trouble with it. Well, the problem they had is, is just continued in the Jewish people because they, they don't get it. And so you'll get this. So why isn't there peace in the world? Messiah couldn't have come. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff in, in Dr. Michael Brown's objections to this. Right. Singer uses it. So where's the peace? Well, you see, God understands that if you don't have peace on the inside, you don't get peace on the outside. Right. And that's actually one of the interesting parts I've come across many times is that... So many people will say, well, there's no peace. You know, the Jewish people, there's no peace. And I'm like going, and I ask them, do you have peace internally? Do you have it in your heart? And they go, well, no. It's And, and it kind of goes into, and I, and I digress again, kind of like gun violence. When they talk about, you know, we want to end gun violence and murders. We want to end, end all these bad things that are happening. And I go, well, you first got to heal the human heart. You first got to go after the human heart because the human heart's the reason we have jealousy and anger and greed and frustration and hatred towards our brothers and sisters. You got to fix that part. The gun is just an object. What? Like a car is just an object. And so it's like, if you want to, you know, have a great nation and, and if you want to have a great, whatever it is, the first thing you got to do is fix inside before you can fix the outside. Well, and, and the reality too is, you know, um, you want the goodies but you don't want the cost. Oh, that, yeah. Everyone wants a piece of the pie, but no one wants to make the pie. No one wants to make the pie. And so your Jewish friend says, you know, we want God to come and redeem Israel. Well, wait a minute. You want all the bennies. Where's your allegiance totally to God? You don't get the gift if you don't accept the giver. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. People want, uh, you know... Uh, comfort and wholeness and and apart from God, but he can't do that because there isn't any. You know, now I'm misquoting a little and paraphrasing, but the bottom line is if Messiah does not fulfill his priestly office, he cannot have his kingly office. It's kind of like whenever you talk to an atheist, and I've talked to many about this as well, because they, they stem in this direction as well, what you're talking about, where they want heaven. Everyone wants heaven. Oh, we'd love to live in heaven. I go, okay, but there are some current terms and conditions. You need to accept the Messiah. That's where you get in heaven. You have to be forgiven of your sins. And they go, wait, you mean I can't just sleep around with women? I can't just go party and get drunk all the time? I can't be doing drugs and, and stealing things and doing stuff? And I go, no, you can't. And they, they want the kingdom, but they don't want the king attached to it. Right. And that's the problem that happens. We want to have this amazing heavenly kingdom. But then when you go, 
all right, but there's a king that's involved here that you need to be subservient to the king of this kingdom. What? And they also have this issue. I don't want to be subservient. He go, well, you can't have the kingdom without the king. <laughs> Heaven will cost you everything and nothing. Exactly. Because you can't earn your way there, but you have obligations as a kingdom citizen. I've had that so many times where I've talked to Mormons about this, where they are working so diligently, even Catholic, even Protestants, who work so diligently to try to show how good they are. I call them legalistic Christians if they're Protestants, if they're Catholic, same thing. And then Mormons, well, they're just all in their own boat together. But when I talk to them, and I've seen so many people who are working and it's so hard to get the kingdom, and as you said... The only thing you have to really work and have to sacrifice and lose is like, say, you know, you may have to lose your family because your family doesn't want to talk to you anymore because you've accepted who Jesus Christ is. You may have to walk away from traditions. My wife had to walk away from the Roman Catholic Church in order to find Jesus because Jesus pulled her away. And she didn't have to do anything as in, you know, works of the law to accomplish heaven, to get the kingdom. But she had to accept the king and there are certain things she had to lose in order to accept Here's what I didn't say to the Catholic guy I was talking to, okay? You don't pledge allegiance to the rules. You pledge allegiance to the person. That's right. I pledge allegiance to King Messiah. But you see, if you don't pledge allegiance to a person, then you will end up pled pledging allegiance to the rules. It's kind of like when I come across, I hate the real um, Catholicism here, but I think it's very close connection to what we're talking about where there are certain things like Pope Francis does and it's very unbiblical and I remember talking talking to my mother-in-law about this and saying straight up you're gonna there's gonna be an ultimatum that comes I'm not trying to be a jerkwad here I'm not right. trying to be rude but it's no different like in Judaism there's gonna be a time that comes an ultimatum will be given that you're going to have to follow the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope, or you're going to have to follow Judaism and you know the law, or you're going to have to follow God. And that's going to be a very difficult thing because you put your faith and your identity into this church, into this organization, into yeah. the laws that were given, and not, and not into God himself. And that's going to be the problem. That's what you're going to have to ultimately face and come down to. And that's why it's like, when the Messiah showed up, it was very much, and I felt that, and it was kind of one that was not really strongly said, like directly, but it was more like subliminally said in the scriptures where it was, you're either accepting the um, the Mosaic law and you're accepting the rules and regulations and traditions of Judaism, or you're going to accept the Messiah. And that's even what Paul, when he was Saul, was point, bringing that up, where he was persecuting the church and saying, you're not... You're a follower of Jesus, a false teacher, because we have our rules and traditions. And then, you know, he was saved by Jesus, thank God. But it was like he had to sacrifice himself. He began to see the law or Torah through Messiah instead of trying to see Messiah through doing Torah. Exactly. And see, that's the challenge to my Jewish friends. It's not a matter of Torah or anti-Torah. In my mind, it's a matter of what role do you give Messiah? And the whole thing behind my dissertation was one of my chief concerns, even for the Messianic movement, uh, is the degrading of the authority of Messiah. Either G either Messiah is the sole authority over Torah, 
or Torah becomes the authority over Messiah. And like I said, that goes into the ultimatum, which is going to be, do you follow the Torah? Do you follow the Messiah? And even though the Torah is fulfilled in the Messiah, and, and you can illustrate that out perfectly as we were talking about this, but it's, it's going to come down to that ultimatum, the final demand, which is going to be following the Messiah or are you going to follow, you know, the religion? Yeah, what the New Testament writers did is they put on messianic glasses. Now mm -hmm. I'm viewing the Tanakh through Messiah. Which is what is why when you read the Tanakh, you can actually see the Messiah all through it. But your, the question for your Jewish friends is, why do you expect Messiah to be a kingly rule? Why do you expect him only to be that? I've never asked that question before. That's why do you expect that? Why do you expect he's going to bring world peace? Now, if they say because the Jewish scriptures say so, but the same Jewish scriptures also say he's going to suffer and die. How come you're picking one picture above the other? And that's the one that I brought up too. And it, it seems to be that difficult one. That's where we were talking about in first Isaiah 53 about this. Is that when they are talking about this and when they say about their Messiah, they leave out the suffering Messiah. It's like it's like the instant they start looking at like you know, looking at Isaiah, they have this major issue with it because if they accept Isaiah 53 out to what it is, and I've done this before where I've talked to them and I've led them through the Messiah, and they've and I've talked to them about that, and to the point where they go, okay, I can see where you're going from, and I start reading Isaiah 53, they come into this like almost internal struggle that if they accept Isaiah 53, and they can understand that Isaiah 53, I even had one of my Jewish friends go, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can see exactly what you're talking about, but I can't. And I go, why is it that you can't? It's off the map. Exactly. They have to deny that what their rabbi has been teaching in their entire life. They have to deny what their family's belief is. They have to deny this whole family thing. Which or goes, even, you see, my dad didn't really believe Judaism. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I even told him that once. I said, I'd, I'd have far less trouble with you if you actually believed what you, you're, you're so offended that I've left. Oh, God. You know? Be straight with this, okay? If you don't believe it, you have no right to really get mad at me for leaving it. Now, you know, I love my dad, but it wasn't Judaism that he was worried about. It was Jewishness that he was worried about. Would that be kind of like another type of religious belief within Judaism, Jewishness? No. Um, think about this in terms of the Native American for a minute. Okay. What does a Navajo person maybe have to give up? To be a Navajo Christian. And I've talked to Navajo. I'm not sure. I haven't actually looked into that. Oh, yeah. I, I actually ended up sharing at a, a Navajo church. I know the pastor. He's actually in town now. Good guy. Um, and his wife is full Navajo. I mean, she's full Navajo. Wow. I mean, they're, you know, and his daughter. And they, they have the church right on reservation land where, I mean, a bunch of congregants have Hogan's and stuff. And, and the hardest part is, um, and, and your wife might have faced this with Catholicism. Catholicism has ethnic elements to it. My friend Peter, who's Irish, well, if you're Irish and you're from Catholic Ireland, it's like you ceased being Irish. They actually had that a little bit with, because um, they're from the island of Guam. And in Guam, Catholicism is supreme above all other religions. And so, and again, I don't know rail on this, but from what I've observed, 
when some of her family has walked away from the Catholic Church, it's almost like they lost a bit of their islander identity. Well, and, and Muslims face this too. Uh, they have to go from being Muslims to being Mideastern Christians. And if they have none of that in their history, there's a lot to that. Nabil Qureshi struggled. I got to hear his testimony from Dave Wood. It's like, well, what about my family? Mm -hmm. What am I denying here? Uh, you got to understand that that we like to pretend that religion and culture are separate. They're insane. Yeah, we like to, you know, you know, we like to to play that sort of game. Life isn't so neatly compartmentalized. I had that happen with me. I had it where um, I grew up in the in a church, Protestant church. And I remember when I first started getting into apologetics, I started talking to my parents and I started, God forbid, asking questions. And the culture that they came from that they mostly tried to impress onto me was, believe it because I tell you. And when I started asking questions about things, it just simple things like, well, why do we go to church on Sunday? I mean... Seems stupid. Like it's super like, why would anyone freak out? They started really not liking that because their, their church was practicing something called fideism, which is that belief is important for the sake of belief. Yeah, and they joined like the Methodist Church, and now the Methodist Church is having that fraction within it. And I started asking the Methodist Church questions because they were part of that, and I even was bringing up about Messiah to them, about who Jesus Christ is. And what scares me, and I'm digressing a little bit here, was, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is fine with, like, say, gay marriage. Jesus is fine with us uh, having women pastors. Jesus is fine with us doing it. I'm going, is Jesus okay with this? Or you want Jesus to be okay with this? And so, you know, like, I digress on that, but it's, it's. The culture, it's almost like culture is forming this religious ideology. And then we start going back to the gospel and saying, what is the Messiah? Who is the actual Messiah? You come across where people are, these religions are changing it. And to the point where I was even asked one time, oh, I forget who it was on a podcast. He even did this poetry and he goes, if Jesus showed up to your church, would you actually let him in? And... I honestly had to take a step back and look at what I've learned and go, I don't think he would be accepted in a lot of churches. Isaiah 53 points out this guy who didn't even look good, was not pleasing to the eye. Right. <clears throat> and he forgot his worship band team. Mm hmm. And I don't think a lot of the church would accept him. But going back to the whole idea of what the Jewish people say about the Messiah I pointed out to my Jewish friend that what he was expecting was coming. I said that to him, you know, because he described it out. I was looking in the Bible. I was reading up through it. And like I said, it, con it collect connected almost perfectly to the Antichrist showing up. And I told him, straight up, you're going to have this guy. He's going to show up. He's going to be the warrior. He's going to unite the nations. He is going to bring a peace to Israel, as he was describing. He He's going to be this warrior. He's going to be nice looking, fantastic suit and tie. He's like, great, that's what we're looking for. That's the guy. He's going to destroy our enemies. He's going to bring peace to the Middle East. He's going to bring peace to Israel. And I go, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's showing up. He's the Antichrist. 
And he just kind of stops. He goes, no, he's not. I go, literally, let me read him for you. And I start reading the mess, the the false prophets. And I start reading about who this Antichrist is going to be. And I go, so you're Jewish? Because he actually was Jewish. I go, are you inventing a Messiah that's not found in the Tanakh or the Torah? In essence, what you're doing is creating an idolatrous that's a good point. M- Messiah. That's a that good point. is fulfilling what you want, what you guys wish for, but realistically has nothing to do with the suffering servant that Isaiah has prophesied, that the um, the Tanakh has prophesied that is going to come and save you, and that the true enemy that you guys need to face is sin. That is what the true Messiah has come. That's what the enemy he's going to destroy is sin to transform you in order to transform the world around you. I go, so what you guys are doing is, if you really think about it, is creating a Messiah that is an idolatrous Messiah, not the true king who has come to save you. Well, the point is you don't want to create a kingdomless situation either, but I think the point is that Messiah needs to be more than just the king you're picturing. Exactly. You're creating a character. Mm-hmm. You're creating a cartoon and thinking that's the real thing. But it's all fake. But it's fake because it's two-dimensional and it's a cartoon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who was it that played uh, uh, Obi-Wan in the, the movies? Uh, Guinness. Alec Guinness? Yeah. Alec Guinness is not Obi-Wan Kenobi. No. So don't don't mistake the character you know, for the real thing. You remind me of what Carrie Fisher said at the FI Awards. She goes, you know, a lot of a lot of little girls come up to her and say, you're Princess Leia. And she goes, no, I'm not Princess Leia. I so happen to look like Princess Leia, but Princess Leia is a fictional, fictitious character that I was portraying, but I'm not really her. I'm someone different. I'm just good at portraying other people that's on right. the screen. Don't don't confuse the actor with the actual item. And I think that's where the Jewish people have that issue. And I know I, I shouldn't blanket yeah. the whole thing, but it's the idea that this Messiah they're waiting for is my fear is is the Antichrist. And I think that's also what's portrayed in the Bible is the Jewish people looking at the Antichrist well, when he Jesus up. said, "You reject me, but another will come. Not in my father, not in God's name, not in my Father's name, and him you will accept." So, I know in the Bible, and you might want to describe this. When will the Jews accept Jesus as the Messiah? Because I know it's prophecy. Well, there's a remnant that has always been there, and that's what Paul points out: is that this dark time in Israel's history. When everything was going wrong and Elijah complains and says, I'm it, I'm done. You, you've totally rejected your people. They're going to kill me. This is no good. Woe is me. And God says, no, wait a minute. I've reserved for myself. And Paul says, you see that incident? God has always had a remnant. God is always preserving. And right now that remnant's growing. I think because we're getting near the end. I have to say, I, I have been looking at it and um, I... Put this food for thought out there, and it's totally off topic here. But I was talking to one of the guys I worked with who's a very diehard um, Democrat liberal. Okay. Very hardcore into socialism, Marxist. 
and he talks about climate change. And I don't want to go too much on this because it totally digresses. But I said to him this, you ever read the Bible about the end times? He goes, not really. He goes, a little bit. I go, you ever read about how pegs, pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, and the weather and systems and all this is going to increase? I go, you ever thought that maybe climate change is not meant for you to look at and go, we need to prevent it. It's something to look and say, we need to look at Jesus because this is now reaching political climax. My dear friend Mike Wingfield, who teaches prophecy, has has said much the same thing and and sort of backed it up. Um, <laughs> but a bigger question is this: If God's going to renew the earth, why are you so busy trying to protect the unrenewed one? Good point. You know, you're busy trying you're busy trying to hold on to the crumbs when you could have the banquet, and that's a good. That's line. actually a really good analogy. You know, and that's why I say to my Jewish friends, you know, you're busy trying to hold on to the crumbs, but you're missing the banquet. Stop with the appetizers already. It's main course time. Embrace the Messiah of Israel who can give everything promised to our fathers to you instead of trying to eat off the table scraps of rabbinical Judaism. But again, that's where it comes down to identity. You know. Identity is it. But see, you know, and I will, it, it offends me. I got to admit, one of the reasons the black Israelites drive me nuts is because they're hitting at my identity. It's very hard to deal with them. It hurts like crazy. One of the hardest parts of a Jewish missionary is a Gentile missionary can't be hurt as much by Jewish people who don't believe. What are they going to call you, a Gentile? Yeah, right. So? What are they going to say? You're Northern European? Yeah, right. So? 21 and me, chromosomal test. Big deal. Me, they say I'm a traitor, I'm a non-Jew. See, that really hurts because it's an attack on my person and identity. And anti-missionaries will do that, okay? And so the Jewish missionary really can get personally hurt because the attacks are against the thing that we mutually treasure. We both have something in common. We treasure our identity, which is a God-given heritage. But now he's turning to me and attacking mine. It hurts because we value the same thing. But here's my answer. There's nothing more Jewish than following the king of Israel. I was actually going to point that out is that because one of the interesting ones was I heard a rabbi talking on it was a Jews for Jesus in Israel and they were talking about well if I follow Jesus or follow my religion and this guy goes I read Jesus and he said I wasn't Christian I was actually hiding the fact I was reading a Bible because you're not supposed to right and he says to follow Jesus would be the most Jewish thing I could possibly do. That's and he goes, I need to be as Jewish as I can, so I'm going to follow Jesus because how Jewish he is. I was faced with a choice. The Holy Spirit didn't say it audibly. He said it in my heart. You can live as a traitor to the God of your forefathers, or you can go ahead and live loyal to the God of your forefathers and be called a traitor. Which is it? It's kind of like in God's Not Dead. I'd rather be... I'd rather... Um, Side with God and be judged by the world than side with the world and be judged by God. That's the essential question that I was left with. I could be viewed loyal and be a traitor to the God of my forefathers, or I could be loyal to the God of my forefathers, the God of the Jewish people, and be called a traitor. I needed to pick. Not easy. Well, I mean, easy, but not easy. Well, it's, it's, it's crossing the Rubicon. Yeah. It's crossing the Rubicon. Why do Muslims who converted make dynamic believers? Because there's nothing to go back to. They've burned the bridge. That's true. Why do 
maybe a little less now, but why do Jewish believers tend to be pretty committed if there's been a real conversion? And why do they tend to be somewhat dynamic? Because they have nothing else to lose. They can't go back. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, I always go back to my wife. She didn't lose her family, but it almost felt like that. Like she was losing everything, and now she's a very devout Christian, very devout follower of Jesus, and even to a point she's stronger than I am a lot of the time, and and I I love her for that, and I think it's great. But I but what you're describing is a lot of what she had to go through. Yeah. Okay, you got to pick the Catholic Church or Jesus, and I mean it was never said directly that way, but it was very much suggested of that, which is. You know, when, when she was becoming a Christian and putting her faith in Jesus and started saying, I don't believe a lot of the stuff the Catholic Church teaches, it was her mother said, you know, she was so angry about it. And so I kind of came to the conclusion of, well, you know, you've, it's going to be basically you choose the Catholic Church or you choose Jesus. And she loves the Catholic Church. My mother in law loves, and I love my mother in law to death. But I came to that re- reasonable look at it and go, she loves the Catholic Church. She doesn't love Jesus. She doesn't know who Jesus is. She knows who the Catholic Church is. And similarly to a lot of the Jewish people, when it comes down to this, is you have to, is either, you know, follow Judaism or follow Jesus is what they're going to come down to. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And, you know, I do know that there are a lot of Jewish believers and I know why they do it. Um I don't mind Messianic Jew. I don't like Messianic Judaism as much. I understand what they're trying to say because Judaism wasn't always rabbinical Judaism. And they're trying to highlight that it's just confusing for the Jewish person who hears it uh, because it sort of sounds like you're saying dehydrated water. Um, it, you can't have that. Yeah, it, it sort of sounds like an oxymoron um, only because the rabbis have done such a good job of essentially gaining control of Judaism in a sense. They're the gatekeepers whether I like it or not. I didn't ask them to be the gatekeepers, but they put themselves in that position. The Jewish community has given them that authority. So basically they handed that authority. They handed it over. Yeah. And so I'd say, you know, but as far as, you know, that sort of decision, yeah, ultimately it comes down to the American church needs to learn one important thing. If, if you allow people, if you make coming to Jesus cost nothing, it will be worth nothing. Because a faith that costs you nothing is worth nothing. But if you make it as it actually is. If you make it as it is. You need to, you know, I had a friend who was an evangelist and he used to try and talk people out of coming to Jesus. After talking them into coming to Jesus. But his thing was, I want you to count the cost. I want you to understand what you're doing. This is a break. It's not Jesus plus. It's not, you don't play the synchronism. It's not Jesus plus all your other gods. Okay. It's not Jesus and asceticism where you whip yourself or recite Latin words and beat yourself with a book or do so in some other language. Uh, It's a Jesus regulates everything. So do I still enjoy a good Chinese restaurant? Yeah. But it's not Jesus plus Chinese food. Right. And so that's kind of the thing. And sometimes the church needs to say up front, God's calling to you, you need to come. But if you feel you need to come, you need to understand what you're at being asked. Right. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it um, looks like we're going to be coming up soon on this. So do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to say to the audience? If you have Jewish friends, make the connections. 
Let them know that accepting Jesus is the most Jewish thing they can do. Uh, and let them know that the battle is not between their ethnic identity and Jesus. The battle is between sin and what the sages and having another authority in Jesus. However that authority plays out. Sounds good. Well, until next time, man, I think we should be able to meet up and uh, do another one. Um, if you guys have any questions about this or comments, please go uh, to his channel, uh, YouTube channel, Zion's Banner. And like I said, subscribe, ask him questions. You got a lot of information. Well, the YouTube would be Jeff Cran Zion's Banner. The website's just Zion's Banner. I'm just so, because there may be another Zion's Banner that belongs to some cult out there. and I, I don't want them thinking. Oh, that's okay, okay. I'm being careful. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so until next time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in, and God, may God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.